right, boys. The NFL season is officially underway. And while we are a Big Ten podcast, I personally am a massive, massive NFL fan. Give me your best sleeper team for the NFL this season. The Miami Dolphins. The Miami mm-hmm. Dolphins. I think they're considered – I know they've got Tua and Tyreek and Waddle and all them boys and Jalen Ramsey now, but no one's talking about them in the AFC East. Everyone's talking about Buffalo. AFC's loaded, so that's probably why. Yeah, and Jets, right, with Aaron Rodgers. Right, everyone's talking about the Jets. Everyone's talking about the Bills. Bro, the Dolphins could straight up win that division. And okay. – they played great in week one. So my sleeper team is the Dolphins. Fair. Corey? The Browns? Question mark? That is an absolute bloodbath of a division. Um, and maybe that's just the week one jitters for Cincinnati. And maybe this just doesn't mean anything. But if, regardless of the off-the-field things with Deshaun if Deshaun Watson is the Deshaun Watson of old or somewhat close to it I holy smokes that division will be absolutely disgusting and the Browns might be able to salvage some uh salvage some wins out of that bad boy okay well I want to say that one of the two of you has picked my team as well and it is Corey with the Cleveland Browns. I thought that that was an unbelievable performance by the Browns. I think they can get even better offensively. They had no camaraderie last year. Deshaun obviously coming back from what he came back from after the you know the half season suspension. I think this is the year that the Browns show everybody what's up. I think they were going to be a real contender to win that division, which is loaded, as Corey said. But I think they get to 10 wins and absolutely make the playoffs. And I think they, they're going to be a team nobody wants to play with the way their defense is stacked. And, I mean, if Deshaun Watson can be a semblance of what he was with the Texans, look out for the Browns. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the most NFL content you are going to get out of us because if you love Big Ten football you're in the right place welcome to Big Banter everybody if you're new here make sure you like and follow wherever you're listening on Apple or Spotify and follow us on the socials Instagram and threads at B1G Banter and on Twitter or X whatever you want to call it at B1G Banter Pod Corey be kind to our listeners say something to them buddy listen you're all beautiful. We all love you very much. Um, we hope you're having a fantastic week one of the NFL slate. Guys, we get football like just about every day outside of Wednesday. And no, I think that's it. Or Wednesday and Tuesday. And then once we get Mac Wednesday night football, there's only one day of your week in which you will not get football. We are in the glory days, and all of us, we're here for it. We're going to be talking about it, and it's because of you, the listeners, that we were able to do this. So we thank you very much. You're all beautiful. We've got a jam-packed episode. Obviously, the breaking news about Mel Tucker. We are going to review what happened in week two. We had a couple of rivalry games early in the season, which is always super hype. And uh, maybe we'll have a little bit of Big Ten West discussion. Who's the favorite now that Wisconsin slipped up? Are we changing picks or are we going to stay loyal to who we had preseason? We'll get into all of that. Uh, I would be remiss if I did not mention it is September 11th on the day that we are recording. So obviously want to acknowledge the weight of today and uh, hearts and prayers are with the families who lost people. And uh, always a huge thank you to first responders. They do not get thanked enough. And uh, we'll never forget. All right, boys, let's get into the big breaking news. Mel Tucker uh, is the subject of an ongoing, I shouldn't say ongoing, it's technically concluded, but it's it's a a sexual harassment allegation um, from a, a woman by the name of Brenda Tracy, 
who is a sexual harassment activist and actually a rape survivor. And as a result, Mel Tucker is currently suspended without pay by Michigan State. They will have an interim head coach. And the final decision on his future employment, the results of this investigation will be will be brought up on October 5th and 6th during their bye week. And once that happens, Michigan State's going to decide whether he is going to be reinstated as head coach or whether he will be fired immediately and they will be on the prowl for who their next head coach will be. So obviously this is huge, huge news. Um, let me just get into some of the details. So I already said Brenda Tracy is the accuser. Um, I don't want to say everything that's in the accusations cause it's a little graphic. Um, but basically it's a lot of, he said, she said, Mel Tucker is saying that everything they did together was consensual. Brenda Tracy is saying that it was not, it was the, the romance and the, and the, um, the intention to make things sexual was totally one way and only on Mel's side and that um, the advances were unwanted and perpetual. And so that's kind of where it stands right now. And so we need to kind of hear what the investigation comes out with in October during the bye week. Um, but guys, this is huge news and let's get away from trying to draw conclusions about who is right and who is wrong? Not our pray, not our place, not our expertise. Can Mel Tucker survive this and continue to coach at Michigan State, or is he essentially done at this point? Uh, the answer to that question is he's absolutely done. Um, regardless of what the findings are, I suppose. And, and now it's come out that this is actually not a Title IX investigation. Uh, I, I think this is a private investigation by the University of Michigan State. So <clears throat> this is just one of those situations where regardless of what the findings are, regardless of what happens, you know, this is, he has an embarrassment clause in his contract and he has clearly embarrassed the university of Michigan state. And this is MSU is going to do everything in their power to pay him as little as possible to get the situation out of their hands and to no longer have Mel Tucker be their head coach. I think once that USA today article came out, it was pretty clear what was, you know, what Michigan state's, uh, position was they came out very swiftly and suspended him without pay. I know people might think like, oh, well, obviously you get suspended. You don't get paid. That's not true, especially in the ranks of the college sport. Uh, Jim Harbaugh right now is suspended by the university. He is suspended with pay. He, he might not be coaching on Saturdays as the head coach. He is getting paid. So when they suspend you without pay, that means the university's got a vendetta, and that athletic product, that athletic program, wants nothing to do with Mel Tucker going forward. Um, I, I, I'm, I'm very, very confident that they will not be having Mel Tucker has coached his last game as an MSU head coach. And look, there, there might be stuff that comes out there. You know, I don't know what the findings are going to be, regardless of what they are. He, he lied and said that this was not, you know, well, he was doing something for Michigan State, that it took place in East Lansing, blah, blah, blah. That has already been proven to not be true. It did take place, I believe, while he was in a hotel that was paid for by MSU while he was in Florida. So this is, this is, it, it's well you're working and you had a professional working relationship with this woman and you're a married man. Like it, there's, there's no further conversation to be had beyond that. It, even if it wasn't the sexual assault, he is still done. And at worst it is sexual assault and it's horrendous. So Mel Tucker's coached his last game at MSU. Yeah. I, I, I don't think there's any other um, uh, conclusion that you can go to other than, he is done. He will not recover from this. 
the things about this story have just not not saying the story is fishy by any stretch of the means. I'm not saying that. I want that to be very clear. But the news of it dropped at midnight um, on a ran. I think it was Saturday night or Sunday night. I'm not quite sure. Uh, and then um, we've seen reports from Brent McMurphy uh, from Action, I believe, and I, I'm not sure which uh, his is, but. He initially was the first to say Mel Tucker has been fired. Um, and then when reports said that Mel Tucker was suspended without pay, he then again doubled down and said, yes, he's just suspended, but this is just a formality. So I don't think you would see all of this stuff happening the way that it is if it wasn't kind of already a done deal. Um, and the results of the investigation will come out to be, you know, whatever they will come out to be, hopefully. Uh, the correct uh, and uh, just uh, conclusion will come from this thing. And I, I, I do have to say, like, like, yes, let's get this done as quick as possible because as close as the allegations are to, to this situation, um, the easier it is to find stories and match things up to get to the truth. And that's the important thing in these things. Um, and it will without making any conclusions. It's not looking good for Mel Tucker. He's already been counted as lying, saying this happened in East Lansing, like Ethan had already said. And if you lied about being in East, East Lansing, what else are you lying about? And I, if, you, if you can't get that fact straight, then who's to say the rest of it isn't, you know, fabricated? And, and Corey, you bring up such a good point right there. And, and I'll be done with it with this. But when it immediately comes out that a part of your statement is a lie, everything else immediately comes into question. You, you can't. Why? What, and I understand that it's, you know, you want it to be, oh, no, this didn't happen on company time, whatever, blah, blah, blah. Your job's already gone. Why lie about? Because now everything else you've said immediately becomes well you lied about this so what else did you lie about that is the perfect point and and, and now it's just it, no matter what happens people are always going to question him no matter what and his professional career might be just straight up over at this point i think it's also important to note that this is not an issue of whether or not mel tucker actually committed the acts that he's being accused of he has admitted to doing so the what's up for debate or what the allegation is revolved around is the consent portion of this so i think to your point ethan at worst this is what he's being accused of and it's and it's sexual harassment but at the bare minimum he is mixing business with a very messy personal romantic sexual relationship because Brenda Tracy came and spoke to Michigan State's team multiple times about sexual harassment and about preventing it and being an ally and sticking up for people who are who are victims. And he is also a married man. So at the very minimum, he's admitting to getting involved in a personal relationship through a work endeavor where he is cheating on his wife. At the bare minimum, that's what's happening. So that might be enough in and of itself for Michigan State to say he's brought embarrassment to the school and all of that stuff, the embarrassment clause that you mentioned. So he does not come out looking good either way in this investigation. So I'm right on board with you guys. I think he has coached his last game at Michigan State. This is a really disgusting story that has come out. And um, if you want to read everything, there's a really good and thorough USA Today article that you can find. So let's move on to this part of it, because I think Michigan State, probably behind, behind, behind the scenes, is already lining up a list of people that are on their list to potentially replace him. I've gotten to thinking about it. I think that two guys who absolutely need to be on this list, Mike Elko at Duke and Lance Leipold at Kansas. I think both those guys are demonstrating right now at schools that are not traditional football schools that they can develop talent in a serious way. Duke just pulled a huge upset 
on Clemson. And even last year, Duke was making strides and people were talking about him. Kansas has the preseason Big 12 player of the year. They just beat up on Illinois. I think that's the kind of person you need at Michigan State. Like a D'Antonio was who came in and he was just a major talent developer. He could find the diamonds in the rough and he got the most out of them. I think those are two guys who need to be at the top of Michigan State's list. What about you guys? Do you two have any names that are sticking out? Actually, Corey, I want you to go because you brought up a very, very interesting name about who could potentially be a Mel Tucker replacement. I will have to say, and then full transparency as well, this was from a tweet that I saw uh, from a couple of Spartan fans uh, that it was simply quoted, we got a coach from Colorado once before, in quotes, um, can you imagine if Michigan State lined up a bag so deep that that got Deion Sanders to just take his talents to East Lansing? So I, I uh, we've seen it once before that Michigan State is willing to throw money at somebody to fix a problem. Unfortunately, it's looking like for a multitude of reasons that Mel Tucker's not going to work out uh, for many reasons. Throw it at Dion. He's going to be the hottest. Make him say no. And then you would have instant electricity behind that program. The nice thing is, is that it, it is going to be, you know, at the end of the season. So you will have a full season of work with all these head coaches. But I'm, I'm going to bring a little bit of levity to the, to the conversation here in the fact that if, and this is a big if, Colorado maintains their level of play. Uh, you you aren't going to ha- get to have Coach Prime coach at your school at all before saying, "Okay, here's a hundred million dollars. Please come here." If they finish as, let's say, they win their bowl game and they finish as a top ten team, right? Like you know something crazy, top fifteen team. And he does that in one year at Colorado. I don't know what the transfer implications are. I don't know what the, you know, what the deal is with all of that. And can his son and the the corner slash wide receiver that they have, the number one recruit in the country, if they could actually transfer again to come to MSU. My feeling is Coach Prime is at Colorado for at least three years. But like Corey said, you make him say no. I think I think that's going to be it. I do think that there is a huge possibility that Mike Elko, the the see, and the thing is, is Mike Elko. He's young, right? He's he's the one. He's the one guy in this conversation. I think he's like forty something years old. He's like 45, 46. So. You've you've got to go after him, and you've got to make him say no. And, and as difficult as that might seem, it's just it's one of those things where it's like you're going to have to hire somebody. And it's Michigan State. You are top twenty-five public university in the country. Go get somebody great. So that that's really kind of where I'm at with it. Obviously, more details to come. We'll probably have to wait till the middle of October or I guess the beginning of October to get them. But that's the gist on the Mel Tucker situation right now at this minute. So let's move to on the field stuff because we had a pretty electric week too. And it started off, well, we're going to start it off with Nebraska and Colorado. The rivalry renewed. They hadn't played this game since 2019. And there was no love lost between these teams. There was some bad blood, and it was chippy. Nebraska ends up losing this one to Dion and company. 14 for Nebraska, 36 for Colorado. Nebraska actually kept this one close for a while. It was 0-0 at the end of one and still just a two-possession game at the half. But eventually, mistakes from Jeff Sims and the talent of Colorado just blew this one open. Jeff Sims, just to kind of sum up his play, because he ended up being the story in this one. He fumbled two snaps that were, nothing was wrong with the snap, just did not catch the ball. Lost another fumble on a botched handoff. 
He threw an interception. That was a really, really ugly one. So between two games now, I believe that makes seven turnovers for him individually as a player. Three interceptions in game one added on to this one. And it looks like Matt Rule may have chosen the wrong guy at quarterback because I saw a tweet after this game that said, according to Casey Thompson's dad, Matt Rule told Casey and company that if he were him, he would transfer. So Matt Rule chose Jeff Sims over Casey Thompson, who you could argue was the lone bright spot on Nebraska's team last year at quarterback. So this is the story right now. Nebraska's defense to me is playing above expectation. And Jeff Sims, for as much talent as he has, just cannot stop turning the ball over right now. Uh, Ethan, you want to get in on this? What did you see? Uh, The fact, and we did a live about this, the fact that Jeff Sims came out in the second half as the starting quarterback was really all I needed to see because – what are what are you doing if you're Matt Rule? Like, I, I mean, you have got to make a change at that point. Your your guy clearly doesn't have it, even if it's just between the ears. You know, it, it's like play after play after play after mishap after mishap. And Colorado was clearly the more talented team. And, and that showed late in that game that they had the more talent. But you had a chance to make that a game, and that just did not happen. I, I, I said when we, you know, we did a show about which coaching hire was the better hire, and I said it was Matt Rule. Oh boy, he is doing everything he can to make me instantly regret that decision. And, See, and it's I early think, on. I think he can still end up being the better hire than Luke Fickle. Like we are Mm -hmm. just two games in, but I think it is safe to say this for year one, he did make the wrong call at quarterback. Yeah. And and how, but how many of those decisions do you get to make poorly before it's like, uh, okay, well, you know, and, and that's, I don't know. I'm, I'm just in a spot right now where I'm so afraid. I am so afraid that we are going to go down the same road as last year. And it's like, oh, yeah, somebody had to win the West. We had a conversation where we said 10 wins is a must to win the West. And right now it's not looking that way. And and it's disappointing. It's very disappointing because I wanted to see some good action in the Big Ten West. In its final year, we're going to, you know, no – no divisions next year. So I don't know. It's it's just very disappointing to me. This was a, a you know, a pretty exciting game to watch until late into the second half and then or I guess it would start like in the third quarter. Uh Sims was a problem. There's no other way to cut it. Um and you don't you never want to ask yourself the question, well, what if there was somebody a different quarterback who was playing in this game? Would the result be a little bit different? Um, I would say maybe not because Colorado's talent on the field really did shine. Uh, Shadur Sanders, again, after a record-breaking performance, backed that up uh, and put on a show. Uh, Travis, again, put on a show. I mean, these are this is some talent. And you always hear in Big Ten circles about, you know, teams that pull away. Their big guys just start, you know, leaning on the opposing team and then, you know, the defenses can no longer keep up. Um, And that's exactly what happened. Nebraska played super tough on defense as long as they could, and they got no help from the offensive side of the ball, and it failed them. And things unraveled very quickly in the second half, and uh, we avoided the dreaded one-possession loss for Nebraska. So are things better or worse as a result of that? I'm not sure. I think as a fan, you you might be a little happy it's not one possession. But Jeff Sims, like we said, the dude is uber talented. Like he also had a 57-yard rushing touchdown in this one. But he's just, you never know which Jeff Sims you're going to get on any given play, not even just in a game, on any given play. So feel for the kid, super, super talented. But when you turn the ball over like that, 
You can't expect to be in there much longer. He ended up actually leaving the game. Someone rolled up on his ankle. We'll see what happens during this week. And if he comes out as the starter in week three. All right. We mentioned the Big Ten West. We're going to focus on the Big Ten West here in the beginning because those were the more interesting games. And I think it's the more interesting, maybe not the more interesting division, but we'll get into it. We'll break it down here in a second. But let's go to the second rivalry game for the Cyhawk Trophy. Iowa takes it again in Iowa State's house. They win 20 to 13. Uh, Biggest story here, not the Cyhawk Trophy. It is Iowa's points per game total. Brian Ferentz needs 25 points per game. The Ferentz family needs 25 points per game to probably save both of their jobs, Kirk's and Brian's. And here's what they've done. Week one, they put up 24. Week two, they put up 20. So total points per game for Iowa through two games is 22. Asterix, they scored a defensive touchdown in week two. So if you if you are talking about just the offense for Iowa, they are averaging 18 and a half points per game right now, and they don't look good. I will say I was really looking forward to watching this game. I inst- even for me, I instantly regretted it. It was just a miserable, miserable football game up until the fourth quarter. Uh, Iowa State's quarterback Becht almost looked like a trailblazer in the first drive of the game, and then things just fell apart for him. The it's the same thing. I mean, I know it's the like the running joke, but like you have more talent on the Iowa offense this year and it looks the same. McNamara missed a couple of fairly wide open passes um and it was it was just a sloppy game for the most part, not really that exciting until the end. Iowa almost gave it away because they couldn't get a first down. Uh, you got to figure that out too because it's going to be the same story again. Your elite, I'll say elite defense because that's what Iowa has done well in the past two or three seasons, will keep you into games for only so long. You have to put points on the board, and it almost cost you on the road here. Um, but your defense bailed you out again. Story of Iowa football the past three years. I, I it just, man, oh man, <clears throat> it just I, I I can't do anything other than reiterate what Corey just said because it's just so disappointing. I, I know they won the game, they actually covered the spread, but it didn't really feel like they did. It just felt so underwhelming. And once we get into Big Ten play, I do think that Iowa's going to win some games, but. I am very underwhelmed by what I have seen from Iowa so far. Yeah, it doesn't look like anything's changed. I mean, Iowa had two receivers who had at least three receptions. They were the tight ends, Lachey and Eric All. I mean, that's been Iowa's offense for years now, is they use tight ends, they run the ball, and they play defense, and hopefully they score on defense to help their offense out. Nothing is different. Cade McNamara is not a miracle worker. He's not going to come in there and make and make these receivers look like Marvin Harrison. That's not him. So this still falls on the shoulders and the headset of Brian Ferentz, and he is not making it work right now. The, I think the one bright spot for them, besides the defensive touchdown, they did seem to find a little bit of a weapon in uh, running back Jazz Patterson. He had five fewer carries than Caleb Johnson, who's the starter, but he had 86 yards compared to Johnson's 28. He he was like lightning in a bottle. He just took off at 100 miles per hour as soon as he got the ball in his hands. But Iowa, bottom line, needs to figure out ways to score the football or else they're just going to be plagued with being in close games. And like I mentioned last week, close games means your margin for error is very, very slim. And the, t- the opponents are for the most part, just going to get tougher for Iowa. All right, our next Big Ten West contender, Wisconsin, for the second year in a row, falls to Washington State. This is one I'm particularly disappointed in because I legitimately picked Wisconsin to finish the season 11-1 and and win the Big Ten West, and now they slip up this early to an inferior opponent. Uh, the score was Washington State 31, Wisconsin 22. Um, Ethan, what did you see in this one for Wisconsin? It was just a tale of no identity. 
They have no offensive identity on that team. Uh, They can't decide if they want to run. They can't decide if they want to pass. They're trying to run out of the shotgun. I can't tell you how many times it was nauseating to see them handing the ball off from the shotgun and get stuffed at the line of scrimmage. And it was like, it was like Luke Fickle was like, well, that's a part of the game plan. So we just are going to keep doing it. And it kept not working. I, I would love to know how many runs in that game ended up with less than one yard of carry yardage. It it just was, it felt like Luke Fickle was like, well, we still have to be Wisconsin, but we also have to be a new Wisconsin. And the blending just did not happen. And, And by the time they tried to change anything, it was too late. That offense looked horrible. I, I 100% put that the, that loss on coaching. That was a coaching loss. When you watch a football game and you realize, wait, they're doing some things well, but it's just like they just don't stick to it. It felt a lot like an NFL game where a team, you know, averages like six rush yards per, you know, per carry or, or whatever the, the situation is, but they just don't stick with it. That's what that game felt like. It, it just felt like, Anytime they did something well, there was two things going wrong. And they abandoned the run so quickly. They did not even get down quickly in this game. It wasn't like Washington State came out and scored like touchdown after touchdown on the first couple of drives. And they just completely abandoned the run. There were multiple times on medium and short yardage situations that they were throwing go routes down the sideline. I thought Phil Longo and Luke Fickle just called an absolutely horrific game. Braylon Allen, who is built very similarly to Derrick Henry after having 17 carries and 141 yards in week one, had seven carries. Seven carries. You have to make a defense get sick and tired of tackling Braylon Allen. He is built like a freaking tank and you need to wear down on the defense. I can tell you what, Tanner Mordecai, he played a better game in week two than he did in week one, but he's not the most talented guy on your offense. You need to run the ball to set up Tanner Mordecai and give him easy throws. Isn't that Big Ten identity, like running the ball? Like that's that's what this conference has been known for, for decades. And Luke Fickle in company tried to play a Pac-12 football game against a Pac-12 team because they're like, oh, maybe this is a bottom feeder Pac-12 team maybe, so we're going to just go do that. No, run the ball and make them make you stop running the ball. Like, don't try to play their game. Like, they're not – they're prepared for their game. They play in that conference, and they face teams that will be a part of this conference. So I, I know that didn't really make sense, so I'm going to refabricate, but – Go to your strengths. That's the that's the one thing that you have to do. And you had guys last week in your backfield that looked like they were playing a different sport than the opposing team. Use them. And use them until they are not effective. Don't abandon them too early. So we just got done talking about the top two teams expected to contend for the Big West title. I forget what your guys' preseason picks were. Mine was Wisconsin. Are you guys wavering at all on who your favorite was or who do you think the favorite is right now? Who'd you pick and who do you think is your favorite right now to win the Big Ten West? I picked Wisconsin. I want to stick with Wisconsin so bad. It just looks so abysmal right now. The question becomes, hmm. I'm going to stick with Wisconsin for right now. And that is only because nobody looks great. So uh, I just, I'm going to stick with Wisconsin, but I, I, I'm so sad already because it feels like 10 wins is just out of the question for winning the big 10 West. I picked Iowa. Um, and I have the luxury of they're still technically two and O, uh, so that helps them. Um, and they are still doing the one thing that they do well, very well, and that is having a great defense. It's just a matter of will that be able to take them further than it did 
in the year previous? And will you finally see their uh, transfer portal additions pay off a little bit? They just need a little bit more than last year. They were literally an inch away from being in the Big Ten championship last year. And they couldn't do it for whatever reason. Probably Brian Ferentz. I picked Wisconsin preseason. I am also hesitantly going to stick with them because Iowa, to me, actually looks a little bit worse than I expected them to look. Now, Wisconsin does as well. But Wisconsin is in a head coaching change, an offensive philosophy change, and that takes time. And so I think that they're going to get better on the offensive side and defensive side as the season goes on. I also think the schedule favors them, too. They get the Iowa game at home and a lot of easy crossover opponents. So I am going to stick with Wisconsin. My worry is, though, exactly what your worry is, Ethan, that we are going to get a Big Ten West champ similar to last year where it feels like they fell into Indy and they didn't earn their way to Indy. And that is not what we're looking for. We're expecting a top 15 matchup in Indianapolis not what we've got in the past couple of years. Boiler up, baby. I don't care what any of y'all say. I would love it. Okay, let's, well, I want to mention this too. Put a poll on Instagram for who people think the favorite in the Big Ten West is. Five votes for Iowa, four for Wisconsin, two for Minnesota. So even the uh, fans are pretty split when it comes to the top two. All right, next game up. Ohio State, Youngstown State. Ohio State takes it 35-7. to They are winning games in a way that we're not used to seeing them win. Normally these games, and Ryan Day mentioned this, normally they're like 60-14 to or 60-21 to or something like that. Now they're, they're holding opponents to fewer points, but they're also scoring fewer points, and the offense can, can look sloppy. At times, at least it has at times during these first two weeks. As far as the quarterback battle goes, this is Kyle McCord's job. Kyle McCord in this one went 14 of 20 for 258, three touchdowns, and most importantly, no interceptions. He looked a lot better in this game. I'm not going to say he looked great because he didn't look great or fantastic or C.J. Stroud-esque or Justin Fields-esque, but he looked much better than he did in week one and Devin Brown came in. He got more snaps than he did in week one. But the thing about Devin Brown is that people have been labeling him as the more athletic, the more mobile quarterback. It's not to a degree that it's going to separate him above Kyle McCord. If Kyle McCord is even a marginally better passer, Devin Brown did not do a lot of damage on the ground. He got more snaps in the second half than I actually thought he would because I thought it was pretty obvious from the few snaps they shared in the first half that this is Kyle McCord's job. So I fully expect next week um, for them to still split snaps a little bit, but I think Kyle McCord's going to get a vast majority of them as they prep to go into Notre Dame week. Now Marvin Harrison, he had himself a week. He looked like the Heisman candidate that we all expected to see. He had seven catches, 160 yards, and two touchdowns. You could have put a hula hoop around this guy and you would not have bumped into a defender. The separation that he got against these guys was just absolute insanity. He is on another level and Kyle McCord doesn't even have to be an A plus quarterback to get him the ball because he's going to have so much space to get it to him most of the time. So that was a bright spot for Ohio state. The concerns they're the same as we've said since the preseason. It's the offensive line, it's the offensive tackles, and it is short yardage situations for them. When they need to be able to run the ball, they're having a hard time doing it, even against the Youngstown State. It doesn't look like it's coming easy. They're not converting a high enough percentage. And even Ohio State fans now are starting to notice. Like I'm seeing on Ohio State fan pages that, you know, on their post-game recap posts, The concerns are always the offensive line, the tackles, short yardage stuff. And that is not a concern that you want to have when you're going to play a Notre Dame soon, when you're going to play a Michigan and a Penn State at some point this season who have bona fide freaks on the defensive line 
that you're going to have to worry about and dedicate manpower towards. And if these elite teams can afford to just rush four against you and put a bunch of guys in coverage, puts more pressure on Kyle McCord, and that is not what you want if you're Ohio State. So they get a convincing win. Kudos to you. You are 2-0. and There are still some issues to be addressed on the offensive line, and they got to get that handled before they get to Notre Dame week, honestly, because they could easily slip up in that game. Purdue. Purdue, baby. Boiler up. Corey and I did not lose faith in these guys, and it paid off, baby. It only took about 12 hours, but it paid off. Purdue wins 24-17. Corey, the floor is yours. Listen, I don't know what it is with this team, but we just we're just connected. And I, I know, I know this team. I know this team. And don't we're gonna forget about week one talking about Fresno State. We're gonna forget about that. But what did I tell you guys? This is a game that Purdue comes in and just like for whatever reason figures out a way to win. What a weird, weird turn of events. A game that should have started, I think it was what, a noon kickoff or or one o'clock kickoff or something like that. Ended up finishing, you know, in the middle of the Texas Alabama game, like throughout the whole day. So like how much you want to take away from that is is up to you because of the strong or like such like the long layover. Um, but I, I will say like it's very hard to change culture. You have a new head coach there, but you still see a lot of the same Purdue that was there from previous years under Brom. You're going to get some huge explosive plays. You're going to get some uh, just mind-numbing mistakes. And I, I, I had one thought. Purdue is just a very unserious football team. And that hurts me to say because they did fall into a Big Ten West division title. But it's something that Ethan has been harping on for almost a season and a half. They are the spoiler makers until we are given a reason to, to say that they're not. They're going to be the spoiler makers until they can figure out how to beat a Fresno State and then continue that into a two-game or a 2-0 start as opposed to a 1-1 one one, um, before you head into your non-conference. But we're sitting here the same way. Purdue's in the thick of it because the West is a dumpster fire. Uh, truly, it is. But Hudson Card kept him in the game. I still think he's an electric quarterback. He is a difference maker for this team. Um, and I think he will remain that difference maker for the rest of his Purdue career. Um, and I think he'll keep him in a lot of the games that they don't deserve to be in. If Purdue wins the Big Ten West again, I'm going to lose my mind. I will be so happy. It'll be so funny. So do you have funny. a Purdue? Do you have a Purdue jersey? No, no. I just I just root for them quietly. I don't have any outside of like the matchup T-shirt from last year for the Big Ten. Shade, I don't have like Purdue gear. I don't do that. I'm weird with college gear. You know, I just have pretty okay. much exclusively Michigan college gear. Okay, and then cornerstone, and then cornerstone, because that's actually where I went. So, fair enough, fair enough. Next game on the docket: Penn State destroys Delaware, sixty-three to seven. They're hoping that's not the only time they destroy a team with winged helmets. But I mean, the only conclusion I came away from, or came away with from this game, Penn State is looking just flawless. They're not making mistakes against these teams that they shouldn't be making mistakes against. And Drew Aller looks every bit the five-star quarterback that he was hailed as. He went 22 for 26 in this game, 204 through the air, and a touchdown, no interceptions. The dude is just, he's moving in the pocket the way he should. He's distributing the ball the way he should. And they're still running the ball effectively. Katron Allen went for over 100. Uh, Nick Singleton had three touchdowns. They look like a well-oiled machine right now, and I'm they have I'm, they, they have cemented themselves as the second best team in the Big Ten, in my opinion. Now, 
in order to take that mantle away from Michigan, you've got to go out there and beat them. They've won back-to-back Big Ten championships. But right now, they look better than Ohio State, and I would pick them to win against Ohio State. You answered the question I was just about to ask. Because preseason, I expected them to be the second-best team in the conference and beat Ohio State. And everything I've seen so far, even if it's against lesser opponents for both teams, I am not convinced otherwise that Penn State is the best, the second best team in this conference. And they could be the best team. That's how good they could potentially be with this squad that they have right now. So I'm sure Nittany Lions fans are V happy with what they're seeing. So let's get over to the reigning champs then. Michigan takes on UNLV and makes easy work out of them. They win 35-7. to This was the first game where the new clock rules really hit me. Like that first half went by so quickly. Michigan only had four drives in the first half. How crazy is that? Four drives. The reason they only had four drives, uh, J.J. McCarthy could not stop completing passes. The ball did not hit the ground. I don't I believe his first incompletion came with about three and three minutes and fifty seconds left in the first half. The dude is just making it look easy right now. And I know these opponents are not all all that in a bag of chips. They're probably not even the chips. But Michigan is doing what Penn State is doing. When they're playing inferior opponents, they're making it look as easy as it should look. I, I think that if he keeps if he keeps throwing the ball and the offensive line keeps protecting him the way that they are. Now, the run game has been a concern specifically with Donovan Edwards. Donovan Edwards has not looked to get his groove yet. I I really look for that to happen in game three against Bowling Green, but still very, very impressed with the way J.J. has played. Not much to diagnose from this game, but those are the takeaways that I have. Uh, I talked about the health of Corum last week. He's healthy and playing, um, but I think he looked better and more comfortable uh, throughout this game than opposed to the first. I mean, he's making even more vicious cuts than last year, and I, I think that's huge as well. Like you, you need the whole team, not just the J.J. McCarthy clicking on all cylinders, and we talked about this a little bit last week as well. We wanted to see more pass, uh, pass rush pressure, and we got that. I think there was three or four sacks in the first half alone. Um, I could be wrong, but uh, there's five sacks in the first half alone. Thank you very much, Alex, for the, uh, the hand signal. Um, but an all-around very good, complete game. You got the rushing yards when you needed to. JJ looked great, uh, and everything was clicking. And it didn't even look like we had two first, or we had two different head coaches in this game. Everything was fine. It went out fluidly. Yep, so we've got one more day, one more game until Harbaugh comes back. And did you guys see Harbaugh was part of the chain gang for his son's I it was it was either his son or or some family member's football game and that was how he was spending his morning that day. So, certified football guy. Just cannot keep this guy away from a football field no matter how hard you try. We mentioned this one earlier, Illinois goes into Kansas and loses 34 to 23. They actually came back a little bit. This one looked like it was going to get really out of hand and Illinois decided to make it interesting. But I think Jalen Daniels just put on a show for Kansas. He's the big, he's the preseason big 12 player of the year for a reason. He had 277 yards and two touchdowns. He He also added 24 yards on the ground. The dude was slinging it all over the place, and Illinois really couldn't do much about it. Their defensive line, this was supposed to be the best unit on this football team at Illinois, was the defensive line. They have not lived up to the hype, in my opinion. Even with Daniels, they were getting there and not able to bring him down consistently enough or stop the run consistently enough to really impose their will on Kansas in this one. They ended up with just two sacks on the night, only five tackles for loss. And when you're banking on your trenches, really being that force for a secondary that is replacing a lot of talent and they're not living up to it, you end up having a hard time on defense 
you're going to have a hard time playing complementary football on the defensive end when your supposedly elite defensive line is not living up to the bill and you've got a secondary that's really inexperienced. So Illinois, Corey, you may have been right about how awful Illinois could potentially be this year. Like, do you even have them going to a bowl game? I, 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 I'd have to take a double check at their schedule, but I told you that I was very low. And the first two games of the season, I've looked to have some insight there. I will say, in keeping it very brief, I did disrespect uh, Luke Altmeyer a little bit last week. Um, and I, Illinois just left him out to dry. He was their team. Um, yes, he did have two interceptions, but he also had two, two touchdowns on the ground and was their leading rusher and then also threw one through the air. Um, he did everything that he could to try to come back from his mistakes, and uh, the rest of the team didn't help him very much. So shout out to Luke for bouncing back. Um, but your team, garbage. P.J. Fleck and the Minnesota Golden Gophers, they rode the boat. They rode the boat right over Eastern Michigan, 25-6. to six. Um, Did did either of you guys watch this one super closely? I mean, I was checking in. I didn't see anything electric from Minnesota, but I think electric is the last word I would use to describe any P.J. Fleck nothing, coached Big Ten team. Yeah, nothing about that game was electric. I, I, I checked in on it periodically with how much action was going on, but yeah. It was, they won. So there's that. They won and they covered, which was good. Um, but that's about all that happened in did, this one. Did they cover? No, they did, they not. did not. They only, no, they they only did won not by cover. 19. Yeah, that was my lock of the week and they did not cover. Oh, that's right. The line was what, 20 you and a half? Wanted, Is that what it you was? just wanted to make me say that. Yeah, after you specifically asked for a shout-out on your picks last week, I had to do something to one-up you here. So, no, they did not cover. Let's uh, let's see what Ethan Kilimanjaro did in this one. Did he put up numbers? He went 10 for 15, 117 through the air, one interception. Not the stat line you would hope for when you are playing an Eastern Michigan team. Now, Darius Taylor on the ground, 33 carries, 193 yards. And a touchdown. They had two. It's not bad. They had two backs average over five yards a carry. They had a total of 56 carries, including a couple QB scrambles in this game. Okay, I got this. We don't need to talk about Minnesota anymore. You took care of business. You didn't cover. That's fine. Uh, Shout out the bottom feeders of the Big Ten. First and foremost, number one, making. Alex and I look like a bunch of buffoons. Rutgers just absolutely having their way with the Temple Owls. Shout out to those guys. Can I'm going to get a spicy Italian meatball sub in celebration this week in, in honor of the win. And then, you know what? Our purple friends, who are probably much smarter than us, they said, oh, that opening one-and-a-half-point line from UTEP coming into our building, our house, ain't going to happen. They just say, you know what, hey, we're going to play some football today. And uh, Northwestern completely. Great job by Northwestern. Yeah. Great job. For I will say that. First, Probably win, the only time this year, but yeah. First win on U.S. soil since October of 2021. Yikes. Wow. That is a stat. That is a sicko stat, if I've ever seen a sicko stat in my life. Did we give the final score of that one? What was the final score for Northwestern? That was 36 or no. 38. 38 to 7. You tell Dang. them. You, you talk to them, Northwestern. Talk to them. I should put on my Northwestern shirt again. No, never do it ever again. Absolutely not. All right, Maryland, they had, a, they had a weird time with Charlotte in this game. They got down 14 nothing early and had to fight their way back. But they fought their way back courtesy of Roman Hemby. What a freaking game this guy had. 20 carries, 162 yards, averaging over eight a carry and a touchdown. Tua had a 
decent game. Not great for his standards, though. Uh, two interceptions, only one touchdown for him. Hemby was really the story of the game. He's electric. I think he's going to be a really legit weapon for them throughout this year. Definitely got down early, though, to these guys. I think what we talked about came true. Maryland's defense is still suspect. They allowed 314 total yards to Charlotte. Not what you want to see when a Big Ten team is going into play a Charlotte like that. So we'll see if that keeps up. And then the two turnovers. You can't be sloppy. You can't have a bad defense and be sloppy with the football. It's not going to be good come Big Ten play. You play like that in the Big Ten. Exactly. That's the point that needs to be made. You play like that in the Big Ten, and you're going to find yourself in some really bad situations. All right. Last but not least, I believe this is last. I'll double check while we're talking about it. Michigan State. Michigan State crushes Richmond 45-14. to 14. Telling you what, man, Noah Kim looked really freaking good. He had eight, he went eighteen of twenty two for two hundred and ninety two and three touchdowns, big time. And Nathan Carter has cemented himself as RB one for this team. Nineteen carries, one hundred and eleven yards, and three touchdowns himself. So Michigan State, they're making some plays. They're a little bit electric on offense, maybe more electric than we thought. And along with this improved defense, guys, Cal Halliday is still there. Jacoby Winman is playing playing out of his mind there's something to talk about in east lansing now going forward how much is the mel tucker situation going to negatively affect them on the field do you think they're going to be super distracted like i know they've got d'antonio coming in as an as an assistant head coach the name of the interim is slipping my mind but how much do we expect this off-field stuff to affect their on-field performance I don't think, I think it's actually going to help just to get away from this situation. Um, I think maybe it seems like there was a lot more that was going on behind the scenes in Michigan State. Like they kind of knew something was going on um, and maybe took away from some of the things that was happening on the field. I think the sooner that you get past this, the more relief you're going to see from the players. And maybe they're going to play a lot more loose than they would have before uh, without this looming thing that was going over the program. I I don't know if it helps or hurts. I, I think I think it's one of those situations where you just got to rally and listen. It, it, Mel Tucker's not a play caller. He's not calling plays on either side of the ball. We saw what happened when he did. It wasn't great. So I I think it's one of those situations where you have an opportunity as Michigan State to rally together. Noah Kim has looked really impressive the first two weeks of the season. Go out there and and make this a game against Washington coming up, you know, and we're going to talk more about that in the next episode, but got to make it a game. I misspoke. And how could I? I forgot about the Indiana Hoosiers, although I feel like they typically forget about their football program as well. So I don't think I'm in the minority here, but they went out and they crushed Indiana State 41 to seven. This one got out of hand pretty early. This was Pretty quick. Indiana State is uh, not the toughest opponent. But I think Indiana found their starting quarterback in Taven Jackson. He threw for 236. Uh, did some uh, – actually, no, he did not do any damage on the ground. Excuse me, he did not. But Jalen Lucas had 88 yards on the ground and two touchdowns. He's a little ball of electricity. He looks like little Darren Sproles out there if he can hold on to the football. He did turn it over a little bit. But – Fun fact about Indiana starting quarterback, Taven Jackson is the brother of Indiana Hoosier basketball star Trace Jackson Davis, if you're a Big Ten basketball guy. So Indiana's getting all of the talent out of the Jackson family that they possibly can, and uh, they get a big dub their first one of the season. Figure out the forward pass and good things happen. That's all I got to say. No comment. Corey, you could be a coach with that kind of talk. I'm basically coaching like Tom Allen. That's all he does is give motivational speeches, right? He also listens to Mercy Me, we found out. Well-noted Christian band. Yes. Good for him. 
You think it's bumping in the locker room? Can you games? can you imagine? I can only imagine as the victory song for these guys. Oh my goodness! Oh boy! Oh boy! <laughs> We've derailed. Most wins at Indiana are imaginary, so it would fit. Oh, it would fit. Ouch! Burn. All right, that is our week two post view, and if you liked what you heard, please. Follow and subscribe, guys. We want you to be here. We do not want you to miss out on what we're going to talk about because Big Ten football is still happening, ladies and gentlemen. We've got a long season to go, a lot of questions to be answered. Don't miss a thing. Like and subscribe wherever you're listening on Spotify or Apple. Follow us on Instagram at B1G Banter, and then follow us on Twitter or X at B1G Banter Pod. We love you, and we'll talk to you next time. Peace. Peace.